This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The U.S. intelligence community has been working for years on something called persistence of vision, an array of satellites that allows the U.S. to have basically an unblinking eye in space. NRO Director Dr. Chris Scalise joins us to tell us what's happening. You know, we're, we're not talking about little things here, uh, but we're talking about, you know, larger events that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can think about, you know, everything from natural disasters to what's happening uh, on, a, on a battlefield. In a natural disaster, things change very quickly uh, and you want to know what's going on. On the battlefield, things change very quickly and you want to be able to know what's going on. So having that persistence uh, allows you to uh, to see what's what's happening in close to real time. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. When the U.S. needs eyes and ears in critical places where no human can reach, whether it's over the most rugged terrain or through the most hostile territory, it turns to the National Reconnaissance Office. The NRO is the government agency in charge of designing, building, and maintaining America's intelligence satellites. They celebrated a big birthday this week on September 6th. Dr. Chris Galise is director of the NRO, and he joins us on this program to tell us their story. Dr. Scalise, thank you for doing this. Happy birthday. Which one is it? And tell us what it means. Certainly, be glad to do that. Um, this is the 60th anniversary of the National Reconnaissance Office, and uh, you know we're we're very excited about it. Uh, we were created as as part of the beginning of the of the space age, uh, and at that time, the president, President Eisenhower, and and uh, shortly thereafter, President Kennedy recognized the value of space in terms of, of allowing us to understand what was going on in uh, around the world, because the vantage from space, uh, as we've seen from the, the photographs that uh, we're now so used to, uh, allows us to see the whole earth at, uh, at a given time. So all points are, are accessible to us, and that allows us to look and listen pretty much anywhere on the earth uh, at, uh, at a given time. You know, one of your predecessors some years ago, perhaps more than a decade ago, um, talked to me about something called persistence of vision when it comes to the U.S.'s ability to look at the Earth from space. Uh, it was a. It was at the time. It was a a target or uh, something that uh, authorities officials had hoped the NRO and certainly the U.S. intelligence community would achieve at some point. Has that been achieved? 
we're in the process of doing exactly that. Uh, the, as you know, in space, you've seen the pictures from the space station and other places. Satellites go around the Earth uh, approximately every 90 minutes to 100 minutes um, in, in low Earth orbit, and we can stay over a, a given area in, uh, if we're in what's called a geosynchronous orbit where we rotate with the Earth, so you're constantly looking at the same point. By mixing those orbits, uh, having some in low Earth orbit, some in, in other orbits that are between low Earth orbit and geosynchronous orbit, we're starting to get to the point where we're having that persistence, uh, where we can look, you know, pretty much at the whole Earth uh, in in its entirety. We're not quite there yet; uh, may never quite get there, uh, but we're getting much closer than we were even uh, five years ago. And can you tell me how important having that that capability is to the U.S. intelligence community? Certainly, when uh, when you're trying to understand uh, what's happening on the Earth, whether it's for intelligence purposes or for scientific purposes, uh, having access to to what's going on at any given time on the Earth and seeing how it's connected to other points on the Earth is absolutely uh, critical. Uh, it allows you to know if something is changing very rapidly. Uh, you might miss it if you go around it in 90 minutes. The, the, something could change significantly. Um, and having more persistence allows you to see what's going on in those types of timescales. Um, now, you know, we're, we're not talking about little things here, uh, but we're talking about you know, larger events that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can think about, you know, everything from natural disasters to what's happening uh, on, a, on a battlefield. In a natural disaster, things change very quickly, uh, and you want to know what's going on. On the battlefield, things change very quickly, and you want to be able to know what's going on. So having that persistence uh, allows you to, uh, to see what's, what's happening in close to real time. Okay, um, real time and having that capability is really important when you talk about, as you mentioned, battlefields and uh, even natural disasters. But let's talk about the let's talk about the uh, the threats and the issues that are more associated with the U.S.'s adversaries and and issues and and problems like that. What would you say are some of the big threats the U.S. is facing in and from space right now? Uh, that's a great question. And uh, in space right now, we, we have, uh, our, it's definitely a congested and contested uh, environment. Uh, in particular, our, our uh, adversaries in Russia and China are getting very aggressive in what they're doing in space. Uh, they have developed uh, weapons that are capable of damaging or hindering our, our satellites in orbit. Um, so it's very important for us to develop uh, countermeasures and techniques um, to avoid, you know, being uh, being disrupted. Uh, so, uh, you know, why are they doing that? Uh, they recognize the the significant advantage that we that that you get from space, from uh, the the certainly the uh, tactical advantage and the advantage of understanding what's going on in the Earth. But it also provides, you know, a uh, an advantage in terms of, of showing people your technological prowess, other countries that you can operate in space. So there's a desire to to take away that advantage from from the United States. 
And as I said, uh, one of the ways that we're we're countering that is, is we're working to uh, develop uh, countermeasures, uh, harden our satellites, uh, and we're also developing uh, techniques and tactics, working with our colleagues in Space Force and Space Command to develop uh, procedures on what we would do if if we if and when we're attacked. Can you give us a sense of what the U.S. is doing on a daily basis in space, at least NRO is doing on a daily basis in space, that is something that, uh, well, a better way to put that question is, why are they so concerned about what the U.S. is doing? Do they feel threatened? Is there some, are they, what, what exactly are they after? Is it just trying to be a bully or what's the deal? Yeah, um, I think it's it's a number of things. Uh, you know, one is they know that uh, we have very capable systems up there. Uh, we believe and, and we're confident that, that we have the best uh, surveillance systems um, that the world has seen in, in space and our ability to to look and, and listen to what's going on on, on the planet. Uh, and it's in a number of different uh, capabilities. It's it's looking at it like uh, you know invisible light, like we uh, like we uh, um, like you see from uh, images that uh, that uh, you see on on the news at uh, Weather Channel, for instance. Um, and and we can listen to to what's going on radars and what have you. They know we have that capability, and and they know that that provides us an advantage. Um, in, in understanding what's going on on the planet. Uh, and th- they want to take away that advantage. Um, so that's certainly certainly one reason that they're doing it. Also, you know, operating in space uh, has proven to to demonstrate the technological capabilities and, and the overall capabilities of a given nation. Uh, and the U.S. Has, has, you know, over the last 50 years or so, been recognized as the leader in space and certainly they mm-hmm. they want to you know be able to move into that direction as well and be viewed as a as a technological leader and what better way to demonstrate that than by doing uh, missions in space mm-hmm. so i think those are the two reasons they recognize the strategic and tactical advantage that that we have from our systems in space and would like to take that away from us and they recognize the the um, the technological uh, advantage that we have because we operate in space, and they would like to to have that that uh, recognition from the rest of the of the world as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about how um, new technology is uh, plugged into you? What you're doing now, how it's helping your mission right now? Oh, absolutely! Uh, technology is the lifeblood uh, of the NRO. Um, and and of uh, you know space in general. Uh, I mentioned it's a you know it's a congested and contested environment. It's also a very competitive environment. In order to stay ahead, we we have to be ahead technologically. So uh, we we are always at the cutting edge of, of technology uh, in order to develop better sensors so that we can understand things better, uh, more efficient capabilities so that uh, that we can uh, deliver them faster. Um, and of course, this means we have to take advantage of a number of different things. Uh, certainly, we want to develop those capabilities. 
The commercial sector is, is extremely um, uh, uh, competitive. They develop great capabilities. They're part of our, uh, of our present and our future. Uh, and of course, um, you have to have great people. Uh, and we've been always fortunate to have great people. And uh, you know, we, can, we continue to attract some of the very best people uh, in order to accomplish our mission. Are you able to give us an example of some of this new tech in a non, in an unclassified way? If it's classified, understand, and I'll move on. But is there anything you can share with us that's not classified, an example of how new tech is helping you? Well, certainly, I, I'll, I'll give uh, you know an example in, a, in an area that um, that we can all talk about. Uh, one of the things that you were talking, we were talking earlier about uh, being able to provide persistence. Uh, in order to do that, um, you you have uh, a number of satellites in orbit, and you want to be able to control them in in the most efficient manner possible. Uh, in if you looked at the at the pictures from the 1960s of people sitting in control rooms, uh, sitting around uh, computers uh, and operating, you know, a satellite, uh, that clearly isn't going to work when you're talking about tens of satellites up there. We're better than that today, but but, but still, uh, we're talking about tens of satellites that, uh, or hundreds of satellites that we want to operate. So uh, we need to take advantage of artificial intelligence and machine learning so that we can better control those constellations, make sure that uh, they're operating properly. Uh, and at the same time, you want to put some of those capabilities on, on board the spacecraft. So when you're doing that, you're moving massive amounts of, of computing power up into space. So having uh, you know, uh, uh, better microprocessors and, and uh, computer systems that you can miniaturize and put on a, put on a spacecraft, because even though we're, we're putting larger systems up there, we're also putting up smaller systems and there's always, there's always a, a weight and space limitation when, uh, when you're going into space. So those are just two examples. One is, you know, the artificial intelligence and machine learning that we absolutely need for the future. And the other is in uh, high performing computer systems, both on the ground and then miniaturized for space. Some years ago, I went to Cheyenne Mountain before it was put essentially into what I think is called warm hibernation. I got a briefing while I was there the individual that conducted the briefing said to me that the U.S. Uh, satellites at that time, and this was probably a decade or so ago, maybe a little more, had the capability from space to look at the Earth and identify a soccer ball and read the writing on it from space. Is that true? We certainly have a lot of capabilities. No <laughs> question about it. Okay. So um, I'm assuming that that is, uh, as that individual said, and this was a non-classified briefing, obviously. Um, would you say that our capabilities and is the technology better today than it was a decade ago? Oh, absolutely. Our, our capabilities are, are, are um, always advancing, as we talked about. Um, we, uh, uh, the lifeblood of this organization uh, and space enterprises in general is, is improving capability. Mm-hmm. So what are the biggest challenges for NRO right now? Uh, well, you know, some of the, the, the challenges are, of course, you know, um, staying technologically 
uh, ahead of those who who want to uh, catch up uh, is uh, is a challenge, and uh, I believe we do well in that area. The other is in the the environment that we're dealing with. It, it is more more uh, congested and contested, and in particular on the contested side is requiring us to have to develop uh, not only systems that uh, are resistant to to whatever uh, is being uh, uh, thrown at us, but also uh, developing uh, techniques uh, that will allow us to, to operate through, um, you know, uh, an, an opportunity for somebody to degrade our capabilities. Um, uh, so those, I would say, are, are our biggest challenges. Uh, but I'd also say there's lots of advantages out there as well that, uh, that we can take advantage of, uh, you know, with a strong technical base here. Um, in in our country and in other uh, other countries around the world that uh, that we partner with um, and with a, you know an extremely capable uh, workforce a strong commercial sector all three of those allow us to, to meet the, the challenges that um, that uh, we expect in a, in a very effective way so now let's talk nuts and bolts about you what are the main roles and responsibilities that you have to conduct on a regular basis? Well, as, as the director, I, I work with uh, all the people here, and I, and I try and make sure that uh, uh, that they can have the tools and the resources that that they need in order to keep the nation safe and to advance ourselves technologically. So my job is to is to help everybody here get their job done. Um, by uh, by making sure that they have the resources they need in terms of, of facilities, uh, funding, um, being able to to hire the best talent um, that there is, um, and, and to be uh, aware of what the the objectives are of the of the nation for for going forward. What's your vision for going forward? Vision for going forward is to stay the world leader in uh, uh, in overhead intelligence, uh, to stay technologically um, ahead in space, and to develop uh, a, a system that uh, uh, or continually develop a, a system that uh, supports the national leadership all the way down to the to the person in the field that needs our data. What's your strategy for doing that? How many people do you have there? Where are they? Uh, what are your expectations of them? What are your thoughts about growth? And um, you know, anything that can give us an idea of, of what your trajectory is? Sure. Um, there's a number of, of different uh, uh, avenues there that uh, that we can pursue. Uh, on the 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 side of of what we're developing, we're developing a uh, an infrastructure that is. Uh, Proliferated. It's combined with uh, several small satellites and large satellites, all dictated by the physics of the problem. Uh, we're populating different orbits uh, around the Earth so that we can achieve that uh, persistence that we were talking about and the revisit time that that people may need in order to understand uh, what what intentions are. Um, and uh, we, we recognize that we have an incredible advantage with our commercial sector um, here and uh, taking advantage of that, which becomes all part of that, uh, that architecture. 
So it's a it's a government sponsored architecture coupled with the commercial uh, capabilities that will give us the persistence that that we uh, really need in order to get things done. Uh, as an example, right now, you know, uh, the commercial sector is covering, you know, uh, you know, several hundred or about 100 million uh, square miles of, of earth every day that they, they map out for us. So that's an absolutely, uh, uh, you know, critical part of our architecture and going forward. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, in order to accomplish all these things, we need people. Uh, right. And uh, we're, we're recruiting. That is something that is, is actually somewhat new for the NRO. Um, uh, as we only stood up uh, a, our, our uh, personnel office here about five years ago, uh, we've had some great interns coming in that are bringing in just absolutely fantastic ideas. And we're getting uh, a number of, uh, of incredible engineers, scientists, and, and, uh, and others that can do that. And then on the technology front, um, uh, we, we continue to support um, technology, working with, with uh, partners in the, in the federal government and industry and academia, as well as sponsoring you know, various uh, technological um, uh, studies that will lead to the next generation of systems that are out there. Yeah, I wanted to ask a question about the commercial sector uh, before we end this in interview today. Um, so um, you've already told us about the commercial sector being uh, an integral part of what you're doing and what your future is. Um, one of the real things that's a big problem for a lot of folks when they think about the commercial sector and uh, technology and uh, certainly the kind of work that you're doing that's, you know, a vital national security interest is security. So how are you able to manage the necessary security to make sure that folks in the commercial sector are doing the things that they should be doing to make sure that their systems are protected from hackers and from all kinds of other ugly things that could cause some pretty serious problems for what the NRO does? Yeah, that's a challenge for everybody, uh, and uh, it's it's something that uh, requires constant vigilance. So, like many other organizations, uh, you know, we work closely with uh, with our uh, suppliers to uh, ensure that they they've been, uh, employed the the latest uh, security uh, measures uh, to protect our our uh, technology and uh, to protect the information that we have. Uh, and I, I'm sure most people know what, what those techniques are, certainly on the computer side, which is to make sure that you're, you, you've got the right software in place, that you're updating it regularly, you've got, got your passwords, uh, but also that we're also protecting you know, the intellectual property uh, that, that is developed so that it, it, it is not you know, used against us. Uh, and uh, you know various techniques are, uh, are applied there um, as well. And then, of course, we we want to make sure that the systems that we're acquiring uh, don't have any uh, flaws in them. So uh, we have to have a, a very rigorous uh, supply chain process where we understand what what is coming coming to us, and then uh, we have to do you know a significant amount of testing. Uh, to make sure that the systems uh, will work the way they're intended to work. Um, and that's important, you know, particularly for space systems, 
because once we uh, launch them, that is usually the last time that uh, we have the opportunity to physically interact with them. So we want to make sure that they will uh, they will work when they get into space. So you know, um, a thorough test program is absolutely critical to assuring not only the security of the system, but also the operability of the system. What keeps you up at night? Well, what keeps us up at night, I, th- I think, in general, is the is, are the challenges that we're facing uh, with our, our adversaries that are, in fact, trying to uh, take away our advantage in space, uh, and looking to make sure that, that we haven't missed something either in our design of our systems or the way we're operating uh, our systems to to make sure that they uh, they will stay available to. Uh, to uh, to the warfighter and to the and to the uh, policymaker. Last thing, there's a time capsule at NRO. I remember when this thing was sealed and I think dedicated in 2001. Um, what's in it, and why is it so important right now? Well, I, I do know that there's a time capsule. Um, <laughs> Are you going to tell I, me you I, don't know what's in it? <laughs> but I don't know what's in it. <laughs> so, there's a bunch uh, of stuff I, in I, it, and it's really interesting looking. I, I looked at a picture of it recently, and I was thinking, well, I forgot about that, but now I remember. Yes, I, I can't tell you, but, but like all time capsules, it, it's absolutely important. It will tell us what we were thinking about 20 years ago, and I'm sure some of it will be the same, and some of it will look, uh, you know, very different uh, in today's world than it was 20 years ago. So I'm looking forward to someday having that uh, time capsule opened and, and seeing what people were thinking about in uh, 2001. So it's my understanding that that's not going to be open until a much later time. Um, I saw something regarding 2061. So yes, indeed, they were looking at it at the hundredth anniversary. That's correct. So, in other words, you can't spoil the secret. You probably know, but you just can't tell us, right? <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, Doctor Scalise, it's been a pleasure. Is there anything you want to add that, that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Uh, no, I think you've asked everything. The only thing I would ask you to do, I didn't get a chance, was call me Chris. <laughs> well, I can call you Chris when I. Maybe come out to visit, but um, what's done is done. So, (laughs) well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your work. And uh, we look forward to the next opportunity. So thank you today. Great. Thank you, JJ. Appreciate that. Dr. Chris Galise. He's director of the National Reconnaissance Office and the first of the 18 intelligence agencies that we've been able to interview. We've got more coming. We'll let you know very soon. Coming up in our next episode, the U.S. debacle in Afghanistan. It's reverberating all around the world and no louder than in NATO countries. The end is a disaster, use this term. I think this is certainly the way it's seen everywhere uh, by our our adversaries, uh, whether it be uh, great power adversaries, whether it be terrorist groups um, in our societies. We take you to the Lennart Mary conference in Tallinn, Estonia, where for three days, policymakers, politicians, military personnel, and academia, intelligence leaders from all around the world 
and especially NATO countries, were all fixated on one thing. What happened in Afghanistan? And can the U.S. be counted on in the future? That's coming up in our next episode. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. And subscribe to our podcast, if you will. If you want more national security news, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Started a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram, and some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week, I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, turning topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler. Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.